Well, good to have you all back on this special evening. It is Sunday night, July 3rd, and we have a special fellowship planned. And you came casual, and so I'm glad you did. I plan to ditch this shortly. Uh, you know, I just kept this on for the live streamers so they didn't tune in and freak out because I'm wearing a polo shirt or something. So there you go, live streamers. Uh, well, we're going to start off. Well, we're not going to start off. You can, you can turn to 1 Timothy, uh, but we're not going to be there for, for a bit. You can put a mark in there or something, 1 Timothy 2. But uh, I would like to speak tonight for a few minutes just concerning, uh, since as this is July 4th tomorrow, and uh, we are uh, very grateful to the Lord for what he has done for us as a nation, I thought it'd be good to speak to just the importance or the, the um, shall we say, what is the role of the church as it comes to celebrating holidays such as this one? Uh, we had an American Heritage Sunday just recently and, and we're able to uh, just again think through uh, our founding fathers and our history and so forth. And uh, I've gotten some good feedback from you folks. Several of you have, have come to me with wonderful things, uh, thoughts uh, that I have gotten back to some of you, still have to get back to others of you and so forth. But what is the role of a church in, in regards to celebrations of the, our, our country? Uh, is that our place? Is it not? Uh, if you are online at all, much lately, you have probably seen a lot online concerning the role of churches. Uh, and uh, I saw a, I guess one study said that uh, more evangelical churches than ever before reported uh, chose not to sing any patriotic hymns this 4th of July today, uh, this 3rd of July really. Uh, no patriotic services, no patriotic anything, and, and more and more evangelical services are, uh, churches are shying away from anything patriotic, and uh, uh, there are various reasons as to why that may be. And so I've been doing some of my own research and just trying to figure out the trend and, and what are churches doing and why are they doing it, and most importantly, what should we be doing as a church? And I saw there's a, there's a lot of outcry online. You may have seen this this week uh, about Christian nationalism and churches that are worshiping at the idolatry of patriotism, basically making an idol out of patriotism. And while I am very patriotic, I don't believe anything should be worshiped but the Lord Jesus. I certainly would not want to be guilty of idolizing America uh, idolizing patriotism or patriots, idolizing the founding fathers. Uh, but what's the balance here? Uh, we don't idolize and worship, but should we be uh, acknowledging and should we celebrate any aspect of this? And there's quite a debate online. And if you have a few hours to waste on Facebook, I could send you some great links. Uh, but many Christians are debating very, very hotly this issue. And and several uh, Christians chose not to go to church today because their church was going to sing America the Beautiful uh, and, and so forth. And so they chose to stay home. And I respect their, their right to do that. Uh, and uh, it does sadden me because I, of where I am on the issue. But I know that even in this setting here, we have no doubt different ideas, different opinions. And I think it's important for us to be able to talk about those and have 
good, healthy conversations where you don't feel like you're going to be pounced upon and labeled and kicked in the backside because you have a different opinion of something. We should be able to have good conversations and, and biblical conversations and strengthening conversations. But one thing I did feel bad about as I did a little research uh, just a little bit uh, in preparation for this um, is just to see how many Christians are shrinking away and I would say overreacting to the fear of becoming a Christian nationalist or an idolater, uh, uh, idolizer of patriotism. And so shrinking back and doing nothing. Uh, several were asked, several pastors were asked why they were doing what they were doing. And one pastor just said, uh, basically, it was, a, it was a fear of man thing. He wasn't going to do anything with patriotism in his service because he did not want to offend someone who maybe would be in the community from a different country, or maybe they're in this country and they don't like our country. There's a lot of people in our country uh, who do not like our country. That is, a, that is a thing. It's cool to not like America today. If you're hip and cool and with it, if you're woke, then you hate America. And uh, it's just un very sad, very unfortunate. And so this guy is trying to reach people, and he says, I'm trying to reach people who maybe hate America, so why would I sing America the Beautiful if I'm trying to reach people? Okay, I would say that is more of a fear motive, and I don't like fear motives. I like faith motives and theological motives. There's all sorts of reasons that were given. Uh, and I will say this, uh, there is a real thing called Christian nationalism. There are people who are idolizing, okay, idolizing patriotism. And basically, uh, you know, some people got the second coming confused with Trump's reelection. Okay, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. Uh, those two things should not be confused, friend, most definitely. Uh, but I know of a very good preacher, a powerful, powerful preacher, who jumped on that bandwagon and has continued to be on it. Uh, he's down south, and he has grown his church uh, on the platform of politics in the pulpit. Ever since 2020, he has been preaching politics in the pulpit, and uh, he has grown his church. They are there, not necessarily to hear the word, because I tune in, I don't anymore, but I was tuning in to his services, and his services are very, very little scripture and a ton of politics. And if you want to hear that, then you come, and he is in the south, and so he's grown his church, big church. Uh, a lot of conservative people are looking for the second coming, okay, that uh, different second coming that didn't quite happen. Uh, but anyway, there is certainly, I see what people are reacting to. I don't want to be guilty here of uh, falling off the knife edge of balance, a biblical, a biblical position. And so I've been praying, you know, Lord, what would you have us to do? I am patriotic. I love America. And I'm going to change out of this in a minute and put on my flag shirt, uh, wear the red, white, and blue. And I, I am so proud and humbled to be an American and to be able to have the liberties that we have. And, and I feel also so responsible. I mean, my, we are living in a bubble in time where uh, what other group of Christians have had what we've had? It's just unreal. And are we doing anything with it, you know? And so I am very, very grateful for freedom, the freedom that God has given us. And I think that we should celebrate that freedom. And yet Sundays are Jesus's day. 
and this is his day to be worshipped. So is it appropriate to, to sing about our country and to be thankful and celebrate uh, America and the freedoms that we have on the Lord's day? Well, I'd like us to, to answer that, I hope, uh, at least get some answers here tonight. And I want to take us to Esther. I said 1 Timothy 2, so I hope you've got that marked for a moment uh, later. But Esther, for now, you know, people are choosing not to celebrate the 4th of July in churches for all sorts of reasons. I listened to some podcasts, and there was a few reasons there. And uh, some people just throw it out because the founding fathers uh, had, had problems, and they, 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 they weren't all that we think that they are. And they, were, they had feet of clay as well. And, and uh, many people think that we have idolized the founding fathers, and so much has been written to expose the founding fathers for this problem and that problem. This one owned slaves, and that one was this, and this guy didn't even really believe the Bible, and so forth and so on. No doubt there's a lot of truth in a lot of those things. And so because of that, we're just going to not celebrate the 4th of July because the founding fathers were off. Or, or maybe the whole idea of overthrowing England. That's rebellion and we can't celebrate rebellion. How can Christians celebrate rebellion and bring that celebration into the church of all things? And we're going to celebrate the rebellion against England in church. Are you kidding me? I'm not going, someone says. And so they throw it off there. And, and there's all sorts of reasons. Well, as I've been looking at this, to me, the book of Esther is very, very helpful. And if you don't know the story of Esther, that's a bummer because uh, I don't have time to give you the whole thing. So your assignment tonight, if you don't know the story of Esther, it is 10 chapters. You can read it in a sitting. Read it tonight, okay? Read it tomorrow for your devotions. But if you don't know this story, you need to know it. You read it. I'll just give you the nutshell for anybody who doesn't know the story. Uh, Ahasuerus was a wicked, wicked, wicked king. He had a queen named Vashti. He got drunk with his friends one day and said at a party, I want Vashti to come out and I want to show off her beauty to my friends. And Vashti knew that this was going to be very demeaning to her and she said, I'm not doing it. Uh, it was going to be very inappropriate. Uh, he was going to have her very immodestly dressed, shall we say, and show off her beauty to his drunken friends. And Vashti said, I'm not doing it. And so he said, well, then you can't be queen. I'm going to get me another queen. And so uh, with the help of his servants, he went out and got all of these young virgins, hundreds, I don't, I don't know if the exact number is spelled out or not. Someone will help me with that later. Hundreds of young virgins came in and he would, like I said, he was a wicked king. He would try them out for one night and then go to the next one and he's looking for his next queen. This is a great guy. Not really. And he finds this young Jewish girl named Esther. And uh, he has a servant named Mordecai who works for him. This is Mordecai's niece. But basically, it's his adopted daughter. Esther pleases the queen when her night comes to go before the king, and she becomes queen. Well, there is a man named Haman. He is a wicked man as well. He is also a servant of King Ahasuerus. And Haman has aspirations of greatness. And uh, he does not like it that Mordecai, Esther's uncle, will not bow before him. And so uh, he decides, I want to kill Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew. I want to kill Mordecai because he won't bow before me. 
And uh, he thought, I'm not going to just kill him. I'm going to kill all the Jews. I'm going to kill them all. And so he got the king to write him a law that could not be changed. On a certain day, all the Jews will die. And that way he would get rid of this problem forever. Well, he cast Purim. That's plural for poor, which is dice. And with those dice that he cast, he found the day that all Jews would die. It went into the law and could not be changed. All right. Well, this was bad news for Esther and Mordecai. And when they found out this, Mordecai weeps and, and, and uh, uh, just weeps sore. Now, I should say Mordecai was also uh, the guy who had exposed a plot to kill and assassinate the king. That will be handy in a moment. So Mordecai comes before the king, uh, uh, before the queen, and says, uh, you are here for such a time as this. You need to go in to him and ask him to spare us. And she is nervous as can be, because if you go in without being asked, you could lose your head. And so she has everybody fast and pray. He and his servants and she and her servants fast and pray. And she goes in, recognizes she was probably here for such a time as this. Esther goes in to beseech the king. And he comes to a banquet that she prepared for him where she would plead. There's actually two banquets that she had where she pleads for the life of her people and for the life of uh, Mordecai. And uh, I'm missing all kinds of details. You need to go read it yourself, all right? But bottom line, it is, it, the plot of Haman is exposed. The king is wroth. He realizes Mordecai is a good guy. This is the guy who, who tried to save my life and did save my life. Haman is just this wicked man. And so he says, what do you guys want? They said, change the law. Well, you can't change the law. You have to write a new law. And so the new law was that on that day, every Jew was allowed to defend themselves, rise up and defend themselves. And of course, they were a powerful people, even in captivity. They were a lot of them and powerful. And uh, they were able to defend themselves very well. And thousands died at the hands of the Jews. And then they were doing such a good job defending themselves uh, that many people converted to Judaism, okay, to avoid getting killed. But they got to the end of the day, they hadn't, they hadn't cleaned out all their enemies yet. And so they go back into, Esther goes back into the king, and he says, well, hey, how's it going? She says, we need another day. Okay, give them another day. And the carnage continued as they cleaned out in this offensive defense, shall we say, all right? And after that, you come to verse uh, chapter 9 verse 16 other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew their foes 70 and 5,000 75,000 and made it a day of feasting and gladness but the Jews that were in Shushan that's in the palace area assembled together on the 13th day and the 14th day and the 15th day of the same, and the, and the 15th day of the same, they rested and made a day, of, a day of feasting and gladness. So they got an extra day in Shushan. Hang with me, we're going somewhere with this, folks. And then they had feasting and a good day and sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews that were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month, uh, Adar, and the 15th day of the same yearly. 
as the days where, uh, within the Jews rested from their enemies. And so basically, he made it into a holiday. He made it into a holiday and a feast day where on these two days, they would eat, listen to the Esther story being read. They still do this today, by the way. They still totally do this today. They still listen to the stories. And whenever Haman's name is mentioned, do you know what they do? They rattle rattlers and they go, ah, and they try to drown out Haman's name. Whenever Mordecai's name is mentioned in the story, they go, ah, and they cheer for Mordecai. I, I would love to be there for one of these public readings. And uh, they still do this. And then they eat and they give gifts. They give to charity, they give to each other, and they eat some more. And it's quite a feast day. And they praise. They praise and give thanks if they're true. Okay, and I'm not sure that all Jews do this today with the praise and thanks part, but uh, they, they, they thank God. And it's a time of worship and feast and celebration, and it is a holy day. All right. Uh, you know, it's, I do see some parallels here. I do see some parallels that could help us. Um, you know, today you could easily find things to pick apart as to why the Jews should not celebrate the Feast of Purim. Oh, easy. This would be so, so easy. Let's do the whole founding father bit, okay? Ahasuerus was vile. And if you want to look him up, look him up on your own time and how he was a madman. He built a bridge over some water and the waves came and knocked his bridge down. And so he, he told all of his servants to grab whips and whip the waves. Okay, uh, he was not just vile, he was crazy. Uh, he was out of his mind and uh, full of pride, but you can look up him. They, so he's the guy who supposedly wrote this law to give them this freedom and so forth. And then you look at the law itself. It's, can you really... Uh, oh, well, before we get to that, let's look at the morals of the, of the people. You know, there's a lot of people I've read who do not like Esther at all. You and I see Esther as a hero. There are many people. Look it up online. There are books written. There are blogs that basically make Esther out to be one of his hired whores and that she should have refused and that Vashti is the hero and Esther is a big zero because she went in to this king and allowed herself to be taken and, uh, and her purity was snatched away by this wicked man and so forth. And um, it's, it's amazing how some people actually look at Esther today. One of my heroes, probably one of yours. And, and Vashti is the hero. Now, I don't know, maybe Vashti is a hero too. I mean, she didn't want herself to be uh, paraded around half naked. But um, uh, it's even seen as, uh, sometimes she's portrayed as self-serving and, and so forth. And, and Mordecai, you know, you, you can pick apart these people if you would like, and you can pick apart the whole thing, and, and you can say, I don't know about the morals of all of this. And, and was this not just self-serving of Mordecai? Uh, he's just looking out for himself and looking out for his niece, his adopted daughter, and uh, he had so much to gain personally. Yeah, he did. He became basically second only to the king. The, the, the rest of 9 and 10, well, well, chapter 10, and the king Ahasuerus had a tribute for the land. Uh, 
uh, in verse 2, all the acts of his power and of his might and the de- declaration of the greatness of Mordecai unto which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book? In other words, Mordecai became this great, great man. And so some have seen, and it's hard to make a case if you want, that Mordecai was a self-serving individual. And, and Esther was a, a, an individual that lacked morals. And Mordecai lacked morals because he put her in this situation and told her, go into the king. You're here for such a time as this. And if you don't do it, he says, you're going to die and God will raise up deliverance. Or he doesn't say God, but deliverance will come from someplace else. You say, whoa, what a horrible guy. He just sends his daughter into the lion's den with this madman. And so it's not hard if you want to do it. You can make out Mordecai to be a horrible, self-serving, selfish guy. You can make out Esther to be uh, just some some girl who's uh, almost a a slave uh, 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 and giving away her morals to this man. And you can do all that if you want. And of course, the, the edict that was written, you can see that is very unethical as well. On this day, wicked King Ahasuerus says, you can kill anybody you want. Kill them all. And when they get done killing 75,000 of them, what do they do? They come back and say, we want one more day. And they go one more day of bloodbath, right? And it's not hard if you want. You can pick this apart and make the Jews out to be these horrible, bloodthirsty people. The founding fathers, if you will, of this feast. Not so good. And, and uh, the ethics of it, not so good. And yet, the bottom line is this. They were freed. They were delivered. God did it. Now, oh, that's another, that's another uh, thing, I should say, another strike. Some will say God didn't do it. Did you know that? Nowhere in the book of Esther does God's name, is God's name mentioned? There is how many names of God that we celebrate? How many ways of saying his name? Not one of them finds its way into the book of Esther. Not one. And so some have said, this whole thing wasn't even of God. This was not a God thing. This was a Jewish thing. And this whole thing was just a bloodbath of the Jews and they went further than they had to go and so forth and so on. Well, it's still celebrated today. The Jews still celebrate Purim, and I say, go for it, okay? And celebrate. Why? They are celebrating the freedom that was afforded them. And you know what, folks? When we sit here and look backward, it is hard to put all the pieces together. We're looking back to our founding fathers, and we're looking back decades, a couple hundred years. And uh, they're looking back, how long are they looking back? Okay, <laughs> uh, Hundreds of years. And it is hard to piece everything together. Every motive, every action and reaction. Was that reaction to that action warranted? Was it justified? Was it too aggressive? Was it too much? Folks, this is what we're doing today. This is what is happening in our world and in our culture. We're we're going back and saying George Washington had slaves and therefore he is not a guy that we can celebrate. We should take him off of the money. And we should not celebrate our founding fathers in 1776 and, and uh, America, the beautiful, no, America, 
oh, we need to hang our heads in shame. We had slaves. And the truth of the matter is, slavery is terrible. Slavery is a result of sin, and sin is everywhere. And America has been carved out of sin and carved out of slavery and all kinds of atrocities. And yet God's hand has been in all of this. God's hand has been here. If we're not careful, we make ourselves to be pious judges of history where we look back and we put everything together in a way that makes sense to us and we have to cut out George Washington and cut out John Quincy Adams and all these different ones. But are you willing to cut out Abraham? He had slaves. Are you willing to cut out the patriarchs? They had slaves. I mean, think of Israel, Judah, uh, sorry, um, Jacob. Jacob became Israel. Two of his wives were slave wives. In our modern day culture, that's horrible. You took a slave and made her your wife. The patriarchs, we celebrate the 12 patriarchs today. The 12 12 tribes of Israel, how much prophecy revolves around these 12 tribes. Did you realize four of them came from slave wives? That just sounds wrong. Should should we celebrate anything about the founding, uh, about the the, the patriarchs? Should we we be glad for anything that's come from this? How do we reconcile these things? David had multiple wives and There's a lot of things that God has allowed sinful men for whatever reason, his mercy. Many men of God, many men used of God. Samson used of God. David used of God. Uh, Solomon mightily used of God. These men were mightily flawed. I think it's very, very important that we don't look back through the lens of history and require that everyone know everything that we know now. And everyone has to just add up with everything that, how we add it up. And everything has to be squeaky clean. You know, people are running around this country tearing statues down because somebody found out something about this guy and now we tear the statue down. You know what we found out about these guys? We found out that they're human and they're sinners. You know what? I actually am glad to know that our founding fathers didn't have it all together. It's a comfort to me that there's some sinners in the midst who didn't have it all figured out, who weren't all squeaky clean, and to see God use them anyway gives hope to me, and it should give hope to you. And it makes God big. Do you realize if all of our founding fathers were perfectly squeaky clean, they would get all the glory. As it is, some of us are uncomfortable with how much glory they get as it stands. Too much glory is going to the Founding Fathers and, and uh, oh, they're, they're put on this pedestal as though they were these perfect individuals and they weren't. They weren't. You're exactly right. They weren't. And they should not be glorified, but they should be celebrated as far as they went and as far as what God did through them. And we should celebrate and be thankful for the grace and mercy that God has extended to us today through all that has happened in history. And we don't have to go back and atone for the 
for the sins of our founding fathers. I read that today as well. Someone said in their closing argument of this, of this article that I read that we must atone. That was the word used. We must atone for the sins of the founding fathers. You know, there's only one person who atones for sin. It's Jesus Christ. He's already done it. It's done. And I don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. And I will tell you, folks, we have had atrocities in this land. Yes, we have. And there is one who has already atoned for them. His name is Jesus. I listened to a podcast and the, the podcaster was saying, this was a podcast I listened to earlier in the week. They said, oh boy, July 4th is coming. And how many churches are going to deck themselves out in red, white, and blue and celebrate a country that was freed, but not all. I know what he's saying. The slaves were not freed initially. That took time before the slaves got free. And how can churches celebrate July 4th, a day of supposed freedom, when not everybody was freed? You know what? You could say the same thing about Esther and Mordecai. Were they freed? No. Do you know the story? Do you know where we find them? They're not in Israel, folks. They're in King Ahasuerus' domain. This is Persia. This is, this, is, this is captivity. And they were not freed. That did not come for a long time. They will eventually go back. Nehemiah and Ezra and so forth, they will go back into their homeland. They were spared... But not a one of them was freed. And yet, you can still celebrate. And they do celebrate. And they should celebrate. Because it was, a, it was the first step in what God was doing. First they were spared. A little bit later, they would be freed and back in their own country. And back in their homeland, growing. You know, I think, I, 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 totally, I understand the hurt of many of our Americans, American friends who say we, sh- we shouldn't celebrate July 4th because not everybody was freed. That is true. Not everyone was freed, but a process was begun. And it continued. And it continues. But above all, the freedom that we are the most concerned about as Christians is spiritual. And that is a freedom that transcends anything on earth, slavery or not, or a Christian liberty or not. Uh, Freedom is every one of our possession in Christ. In Christ, He has made us free, and we do not have to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so we can celebrate freedom in whatever form it comes, even if it wasn't in a perfect form. Even if we didn't get all of it, we can celebrate anything that God has done, however he, he got it done in giving us freedom. As we consider July 4th, and this is July 3rd, should we celebrate? I say yes. Should we worship? We worship Jesus, okay, and that's it. 
Do we worship founding fathers? No. Do we worship patriots? No. Do we celebrate what God did? Yes. Are we willing to see the hand of a big God through broken people, through inconsistencies, maybe even hypocrisies, maybe outright wrongdoings? I'm not saying that our founding fathers did everything right, folks. I know that many of them did a lot of things wrong. Thomas Jefferson had a Bible that he would cut things out of. It's fact. He had a cut-and-paste Bible. I'm not going to stand here and defend that. But I'm so thankful that God did use him. God used him along with several others. Benjamin Franklin, though he had his problems as well, God used him. And we can celebrate and give thanks to God for freedom. And folks, I think what's happening in our nation is if we're not careful, we as churches are, are being backed into a corner. You can't talk about America in church. You can't talk about uh, our American heritage in church or, or patriotism or any of that. You just can't do that. And we are, we're just supposed to be marginalized and not speak to anything that we're facing. And folks, I tell you, that's not what we're going to do here at NR Baptist Church. The Word of God is going to be preached. We're going to work our way through it. And we're going to apply it to everyday life. We're going to apply it to where we are living and the country that we're living in and specifically America and have humble, grateful hearts. I cannot tell you that every decision that the Founding Fathers made was good. I can't tell you that everything even that they said was biblical. But I can tell you this. God in His mercy, grace, and goodness has worked through them through that point, beyond that point, right on up till now, and we can see the evidences of God's goodness and blessing. And for that, we can be grateful. We don't need to go back and psychoanalyze. We don't need to go back and find out every motive and figure every single thing out in order to justify our celebration. Today, we are celebrating freedom. We're celebrating freedom that God has given us and freedom that He's given our country to be able to preach the gospel. You know, there are churches in China that don't have this freedom that would love it right now. And they would probably be scratching their head that I'm even having to talk about this. Pastor Barber, you're over there talking to American Christians, telling them that it's okay to celebrate freedom? <laughs> can we have some of that? Uh, I, don't even, I don't even know if we can wrap our heads around what other countries are going through, what other Christians are, are facing today. But we, right now, sit in a place of opportunity. We should be humble. We should be grateful. But we should also be responsible with what God has given us. So I hope that helps to go back to 1 Timothy as we conclude. What should our response be? Well, today we remembered our nation. Today we sang some songs about America the beautiful and we have been uh, reminded of God's goodness. We're not worshiping our nation. We're honoring our nation. We honor mothers on Mother's Day. We sing Mother's Day songs. We honor fathers on Father's Day. We sing Father's Day songs. All right. Uh, and here our nation is, is being honored. And we are also wanting to thank God for what he's doing in our nation. And not let culture make us be fearful of, of celebrating him. 
1 Timothy 2 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What did Paul tell Timothy concerning his country? He exhorted him first of all and last of all in that passage to pray. And Paul was one who was not ashamed to say that he was a Roman. You know, he was patriotic. I dare say Paul was proud of his Roman citizenship. And I'll say he was smart. He used it to his advantage at least a couple of times. He was not, he was not uh, willing to be chastised if he didn't need to be. I mean, he was willing, but he, was gonna, he, he had rights. He worked within his citizenship as a good citizen, and so should we. And we ought to be thankful for what God has given us. Uh, you see, Rome afforded him certain things that he could be thankful of and, in a sense, proud of. And yet, there were some wicked, wicked people. But he wasn't looking to Nero. He was looking to God. And yet he was thankful for that which God had given him through Rome and took full advantage or full opportunity, laid hold fully of those opportunities. I exhort also that we would, first of all, pray. Uh, supplications, prayers, and intercessions be made. Giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives. So many Christians are checking out of this country. And I believe it's so sad. They don't even know who the politicians are. They're not praying for them. They're not praying for the, for the president. They're not praying for the White House. They're not praying for anything. They've just said, it's all over with. It's done. We're packing it up. I've got a, a, a pastor friend of mine who, who doesn't vote anymore, tells us people don't vote. There's no reason to vote. It's over. Uh, you know, and that's not our job anyway. We're just supposed to be the church to sit here and sing our stuff. That's exactly what the devil wants us to do. Just check out. Let the country go to the devil and we'll just sit here and you know what? We're not in anybody's way. The devil let us do that as much as we want. I think we have a responsibility to be prayer warriors, engaged. We are in, in the battle for our country, for all that are in authority, that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives. Why? For what purpose? For the gospel's sake. Because the next couple of verses say, God wants all people to be saved, and I'm a ordained a preacher to tell them, is what Paul says. We're pretty short-sighted when we just check out. And what have we, what have we committed our children to and our grandchildren to? No, no, no. We need to be engaged praying, preaching, sharing the gospel as long as God has given us opportunity. So today, we celebrate God's goodness, God's mercy, His love and faithfulness. We celebrate uh, what God has done despite so many 
foibles of men. But we also celebrate the fact that he uses men. And that he will also use us. I would encourage you and exhort you to be a part of praying and trusting God for another great revival in our country. Well, let's stand to our feet and we'll pray and be dismissed and we'll head outside for some food and fellowship. And I hope that you will stay and there'll be some fireworks as well later on. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the country that you've given us and the land of the free, the home of the brave. Lord, we are not better than anybody else. And we are not clinging to uh, some patriotic uh, idealism that's become an idolatry. Lord, we're clinging to you. But Lord, thank you for the patriots that you've used. Thank you for the founding fathers that you used despite their failings and their sinfulness. Thank you that you still will use us. Help us, Lord, to not be ashamed to be Christian Americans that uh, can humbly walk with you and celebrate our nation celebrate your goodness to us in the nation. Lord, we thank you for this time. Give us safety. Give us a great time of fellowship. Thank you for the food. Bless that to our bodies, we pray. And we just commit the rest of this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.